Welcome back to the Indotechno Podcast, Season 3, Episode 10. I'm Alan Hallowell, founder of startup consultancy Gizmo Advisors. Today we have the opportunity to explore something entirely new on the Indotechno Podcast, being the online coaching and mental wellness space. This is a category that has only recently begun seeing a lot of innovation in the region. We're super excited to have join us today Justin Kim, who is the co-founder and CEO of mental wellness coaching solution, AMI. Thanks a bunch for taking the time to join us today, Justin. Thanks, Alan, for having me. Excited to be here. Now, Justin, you co-founded AMI with Beknazar Abdikamalov. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm thinking with a name like this, he probably did not grow up in the same neighborhood as you did in Seoul, much less in the same country. Then I see that he actually did his undergrad in Korea. So I need an explanation here. And then I also want to know, how did you guys come together and how did you guys decide to create a mental wellness app for Southeast Asia? Yeah, so Beck is not Korean. We met actually in Korea, though, at a startup called Miso, where we were both working. It was the third company out of Korea to be funded by YC. I was the GM of one of our business units, and then Beck was one of our engineers. And we loved working together. Fortuitously, after Miso, I went to Toss and he went to Amazon. We still kept in touch, talked about ideas that we were excited about. When I decided that it was really important to me personally to start working on this, I reached out to him immediately and, and we started just making things and testing things. And that's how we got to start right on this journey. Now, where is Beck from? Beck is from Uzbekistan, but he actually got a scholarship to study in Korea, which is how he ended up there. Fantastic. Two episodes ago, we had Diana who's the founder of GPay, and she's from Ukraine. We are really beginning to cultivate an Eastern European participation in this podcast. Now, Justin, we mentioned that 49% of employees report feeling burnt out. Is this quite uniform across industries and, for that matter, countries? I think for us, it's really important to be focused. So I wouldn't dare claim to be an expert across the board on this, but I think what's become very clear for us is in the regions that we focus in, Indonesia, obviously, Singapore, Korea, Hong Kong, it's absolutely an issue that permeates across the workplace. 49%, that is sort of a median figure. And obviously, the way you track and measure this figure differs across different methodologies. But overall, if you're trying to get down to whether or not people feel this level of burnout across different regions, I would say absolutely. In terms of different industries, we've really only focused on the technology space so far. And I would say that companies, both large and small, feel this, at least within the technology sector. Uh, understood. Thanks for that. Now, Justin, what do we regard as the unique aspects of mental wellness in an Indonesian context compared to the rest of the region? And is it possible to compare it to the Western workplace? Sure. So I think, at least from my learnings, What's become really clear about Indonesia is that you have this really motivated young workforce that is extremely ambitious, extremely hardworking, extremely diligent. But I think that overall, there is still a massive stigma and a massive sort of barrier when it comes to sharing how you feel or sharing sort of your desire to find help or support 
with the, the great organization or your manager or HR or whatever that may be. And I think that that barrier is like a legacy thing where it's been stacked in people's minds for generations. And that's not going to change overnight. But I do think that Indonesia in particular has a massively open and dedicated workforce that genuinely wants to get better in terms of mental health and mental wellness. But I think, yeah, traditionally, there just haven't been the solutions that allow them to feel more comfortable sharing what they need to share. Understood. Now, Justin, I assume that early stage startups moving as quickly as they are and just so focused on growth rarely have a robust focus on mental wellness, at least from the get-go. So I'll instead ask, what accommodation do large Indonesian tech startups make for the mental wellness of their employees? Just to clarify, I would say out of the companies that we're working with in Indonesia, they primarily are Series B through Series D startups with about 200 to 600 people. So that's the space that we have our core competency with, at least up until this point. These companies are growing super quickly. Oftentimes, they're well-funded. But with that, obviously, comes a ton of challenges when it comes to employee retention and satisfaction. And that's true of any organization. And I think that there is a genuine need for both the company and the employees to find outlets and infrastructure for them to better shape and in many cases measure their emotional sort of health and endurance so that they can become more productive members of the workforce. But yeah, these companies are growing super quickly and definitely have naturally a lot of burnout and retention issues. Well, so let's talk more about this virtuous cycle that we want to trigger in the workplace as a result of the successful use of AMI. What does the future look like if a company is successfully implemented AMI? Where does it go and what are some of the benefits that manifest as a result? So I think the first step in that virtuous cycle is are employees adopting or using the solution in the first place, which has been traditionally the highest barrier to entry for effectiveness of any solution in this space. If you can have that adoption and retain that adoption, what you're going to have is this massive data set of people using the service, but also having insights into what your employees are struggling with. And one of the most surprising things from this journey so far is that we found that employees actually genuinely want to share with the company what they feel like are issues. And that being said, they don't want to be personally identified when they give that feedback. So for us to act almost as a conduit or a bridge, it's a win-win situation. But say, for instance, the company is getting ready for a fundraise, but employees are getting super burnt out as a result. By us saying, just to flag, one of the most commonly discussed issues during AMI sessions is this sort of burnout that's happening. The company can then do things about it to address these needs on a deep dive. And hopefully what that'll do, aside from just us providing these sessions, is bolster employee satisfaction and retention, which ultimately translates to higher ROI for companies spending money on a service like ours that can allow them to expand the offerings that they have in this space, which will ultimately help employees be happier and healthier. So that's the virtuous cycle that we're hoping for. Now, we talk about the potential stigma that remains attached to concepts of mental wellness here in Asia. You add the fact that your employer is probably paying for this service and may have access 
either agreed access or maybe not agreed access to information on you. How do you grapple with those two concerns from the employee perspective? Yeah, I would say the number one reason why individuals are reluctant to try our service within the, the framework of a company is because they're afraid that what they talk about during sessions will be traced back to them and will be shared with their employer as, hey, Justin said this, Justin said that. We put in a ton of work and effort into ensuring that employees completely understand that nothing personal will ever be shared, as in we'll never tell your employer, hey, Justin's saying this to us, Justin's saying that to us. However, what we found, and this is something that we learned during the course of our journey, is that employees genuinely want their employers to know that, hey, like for these reasons, I'm feeling lack of motivation at work. Or for these reasons, I'm finding it really difficult to focus on fostering better relationships at work, but they don't want it personally traced back to them. So we agree with the customers beforehand that this is the clear line. We're going to give you macro insights into what the company is struggling with or what's on their mind, but we're never going to create anything that allows you to trace back to any individual person that this is what they're going through. And how we communicate this with the employee is right now, to be honest, in a very do things that don't scale away, where before every engagement or before every sort of customer onboarding, members of our team will personally walk you through like how the service works, where the clear lines are, what the value and benefits are. And it's extremely unscalable. But what we found is that having that sort of high touch approach and then kind of just blasting something on Slack or email makes a world of difference. That makes eminent sense. Now, we claim that we provide tailored coaching. How can we achieve that on the topic of scalability? For us, it's really simple. We are a completely human-centric solution, meaning that really all we do is match and support your engagement with coaches in real time. So you either text or call your coach, video call your coach, but we don't do really anything else. And the reason why we've chosen that path is not because it's the cheapest. It's not because it's quote unquote the most scalable, but we do this because it's the most effective. It's in fact, the only thing that's effective in my opinion. What we believe in a two-sided business is that ultimately you have to keep both providers and customers happy. And the way you're going to do that is by creating the highest adoption satisfaction from users, which I believe is achievable with a human-centric approach. And once that happens, my belief is that employers are going to be willing to pay more and more for solutions like this, right? There's so many comparables to employers spending ridiculous amounts of money on benefits that prove to be effective and that prove to make users happy. I think if you can do that, what you can do is pay coaches more or pay coaches a really fair competitive wage that they're not currently getting in markets in Asia. And if you can do that, you can retain coaches. And if you can retain great coaches, you're going to create a better customer experience. So it really is a simplistic approach. But what we believe is that in the market, what's missing is a solution that users actually love to use. And for us, after trying so many different things, what we found is that the only way to do that is to match you with the great coach who you can foster a great relationship with. So that's why we've chosen that approach. Understood. Justin, what is our basic business model in Indonesia? So we're a subscription business. So the employer will pay a fixed fee per user or per license. Obviously, that per user cost goes down based on the number of licenses that you buy. So typically, a company will buy, 
licenses for the entire company, or at least all of the full-time employees at the company. And then those individuals have unlimited access to sessions from Omni coaches during the period for which they're subscribed. That's crystal clear. Now, I realized that Omni was only founded in January of this year, which leads me to one of my questions. Where does COVID fit into our origin story and how does it inform what we're going to do going forward? COVID played a huge role. It was definitely an inflection point. I always believe that it's much more reasonable and easy, to be honest, to convince people to pay for things that they already believe that has a need, but they're having a bad experience with versus convincing people that the need exists in the first place. So our first customers were actually spending money on offline counselors to provide counseling for their employees because so many employees were stressed out from working from home during COVID and all of the other things that came along with that. So for us, it was a function of going to them and saying, hey, our solution is 10x better than what you're already paying for. So you just reroute the budget that you're paying there and then pay for us. So that's how that started. And without COVID, I'm sure it would have been much more of an uphill battle. Now, Justin, let's go back to an earlier topic. With a term as bespoke and intimate as coaching, and moreover, given that we operate in jurisdictions which aren't exactly world leaders in terms of trained specialists in the field, or even openly recognizing the importance of mental health itself, how can we scale this business? I think that there are a ton of great coaches that are currently out there in the market. And again, we're not a clinical or treatment-based solution, meaning that the best coaches aren't necessarily clinical psychologists, even though we do work with clinical psychologists. They can be clinical psychologists, they can be certified counselors, they can be coaches. What we really believe in is working with individuals that have a professional background, number one, obviously. Number two, that are able to localize the service, meaning in Indonesia, that speak Bahasa Indonesia, in other regions like Thailand, speak Thai, so on and so forth. Thirdly, are able to empathize with the users on multiple levels. It could be as simple as, hey, the workforce of our clients are typically much younger. So in their 20s or early 30s, we should have coaches that probably fit in that same age range. So for us, it's those three factors when we look for coaches. But we believe that there's a ton of them that already exist in the market that, honestly speaking, have a really hard time finding fair and competitive wages in the market today. Because I guess for a number of factors, the accessibility and, and sort of the standing of this profession in the marketplace currently, it's still a little behind when it comes to perception and obviously the stigma that comes with that. But what we hope to create is a system where workplaces in particular recognize the value of the service, are willing to pay a very fair amount of money that constitutes the level of service that we give and then we filter those wages down to the coaches that will hopefully attract more and more of them to come. But ultimately, the way we plan to do that is by paying them and treating them the best in the market. And we believe that with this model, that's achievable. So just to fill out the perspective from the coach who's considering onboarding to AMI, how are they rendering their service most commonly today through alternatives? And how does their day change? if they were to devote quite a bit of their practice to working with AMI? So it's largely two. The first is a structure where you're working for a clinic or a center. 
usually it's a 50-50 split, meaning that you share 50% of your earnings with the center or the company for customer acquisition, for infrastructural support, so on and so forth, which is pretty brutal. The second option is that you're a freelancer, but you get paid on a sort of per engagement basis. So what you're doing is waiting around for work to come to you, but it's really inconsistent. So for people that need fixed income and that need steady wages, it really is an up and down, highly volatile way of securing earnings. What we hope to do is create a very steady, very fair and competitive wage structure where people are getting wages regardless of how many hours they work but are doing so with very fair wages and also be able to decide on their own with their users, what are the best times that work for them in terms of sessions? So we don't actually define, hey, you need to be on standby from nine to 12 or five to seven or whatever. We define the relationship between the coach and the user. They have direct access of communication to each other and they themselves can decide what's the structure and times that work best for them. Got you, makes sense. Now, Justin, we have over 20 leading organizations partnering with us. Can you share with us one illustrative example of a partnership that is working really well in Indonesia? Sure. This was announced publicly, but our partnership with Colearn has been fantastic. I think Colearn was a company that was growing extremely quickly. The management and leadership team had a clear desire to invest in wellness for their employees. And the adoption that we've seen from that organization from day one has been really impressive and as well has the satisfaction. We have a Slack channel where we in real time hear customer updates and feedback all the time. And looking at that channel and looking at employees review AMI in such a positive way has been really rewarding. But the adoption there has just been consistently increasing. And now nearly half of the employees are, are using this. So it's a really rewarding practice and structure. So within the AMI lexicon, partner can also mean customer. Is that correct? We refer to the company as the customer. We refer to the member or the user as the employee. And that's our lexicon. Gotcha. Now, Justin, for the sake of simplicity, whom do we regard as the global leader in our category? In other words, whom can we point to in order to show that this model can indeed work fabulously well? So I think the U.S. is obviously a much more mature market. And clearly, there have been a lot of winners in the space, but largely divided into two. You have the more clinical or treatment-based solutions like Lara Health or Spring Health, both unicorns. And then on the other hand, you have more coaching-driven solutions like BetterUp. So the way I describe coaching is that we want this to be a lot more like how you're working with a personal trainer at the gym versus going to the doctor. And I think what BetterUp has done a really good job of is creating this proactive narrative around coaching where you're really doing it not because you have the issue that you want to fix or treat, but because you want to maintain a healthy and happy lifestyle. So when you go work out, you don't do it because you're already ill or sick. You do it because you want to be healthy and happy. BetterUp has become a five, six billion dollar company over six years. So we believe that in Asia, the market is even larger and those sorts of outcomes are highly achievable. Encouraging. Now, I wanted to change tack and specifically, I wanted to spend some time reviewing your current cap table or list of investors. It frankly is quite distinct from other startups in the region. I'm used to seeing startups in the area raise, particularly their early rounds from their backyard, in our case, Southeast Asia. Our investors, however, stretch from San Francisco to L.A. to New York to Singapore to Australia and beyond. How did this come about? 
When we were starting out, we really looked for three things with investors. Number one, were they going to be able to lead follow-on rounds? Number two, obviously, did they believe in the mission and the vision of the company? And then number three, frankly speaking, were they just nice people that we wanted to hang out with and maintain a relationship with for over a decade? I think the investors that we have on the cap table fill those three criteria very well. So it wasn't so much, hey, let's start with our backyard, so to speak, and then filter out the investors that we think are going to be like the highest profile or the best or whatever. We were just looking for investors that fit those three criteria and they happen to be world-renowned, amazing investors. So yeah, that's just how it came about. Well, if only every fundraise since the beginning of the year could be so straightforward and bring to the fore so many good investors. I think it's a minority of instances. So congratulations on that. And we, moreover, amazingly marked the very first Asia investment of Facebook parent company Meta. Are there any strategic opportunities there? I assume we, for instance, leverage WhatsApp quite heavily as part of the coaching session, yes? I think there are a ton of strategic opportunities, which is why we were very fortunate and eager to bring them on as an investor. Obviously, the Meta team is also the team itself could obviously benefit from coaching services like any other organization would. But also, yeah, like you said, there's synergies between technologies that Meta holds in its portfolio that we can definitely leverage and continue to use over time. We're really big fans of Meta and what they're doing. I think they're going to be more and more active in the region. We're really honored to be their first investment, and hopefully we can be a good case study for them as they expand. Look forward to seeing some of that collaboration going forward. Justin, what a noble mission you guys are on at AMI. I personally think you're focusing on one of the single greatest sink or swim or even existential elements that startups in Indonesia and elsewhere, for that matter, are facing, which is, are you happy working here? We hope you'll keep us surprised of all your progress in the field at AMI. Thanks a bunch for joining us today, Justin. Thanks, Alan, for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I just wanted to close by saying that we genuinely believe that Asia workers are the most stressed in the world, but have the worst access to stress management resources. So I think that there hasn't been a better time than now for companies to invest in this space. And what we're hoping is that more and more companies seriously consider this as a key part of their benefits offering, whether even if it's not through us. We really encourage leaders of all shapes and sizes to really consider this as a key part of what they offer to employees that'll ultimately help them run a better business. So thanks for that. I do indeed hope a lot of decision makers uh, listen to this podcast. And we hope our listeners more broadly have enjoyed today's episode. As always, please consider sharing any feedback that you have about the Indotechno podcast with us. Terima kasih telah menengarkan. Sampai jumpa lagi.